Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest hitting social issues in sports. On today's show, three recent incidents of domestic violence are requiring us to look at how sports teams and organizations respond to domestic violence allegations. And in these three different instances, we, we see three different responses that we want to analyze. My name is Chad Wiley, and with me, as always, is John Nekersov. And John, even as I'm reading that, it, it's just hitting me like this is not going to be the last half of this podcast is not going to be particularly fun to talk about. No, definitely not. But we do have some more fun sporty topics to get to before we get to that, because it's going to be a busy week. Like we've got NFL playoff action here in my like not my first playoffs, but it my like first really aggressive NFL playoff following year, like having like watched like almost every game like all the way through the season. So I'm I'm like I'm very excited. John, I think it's fair to say that 2022 was the year that the NFL indoctrination went complete with you. That's fact, absolutely like, true. Your number one most listened to, was it your number one most listened to podcast or number two? I think it was number two, but only because it didn't catch up in time around the NFL did dominate the airwaves for most of my year. I still obviously listen to all my soccer content, but I don't know. The NFL is is it's catching up quickly and it's filling a gap that in I guess like in my weekly like evening slots that I didn't really know I had before in terms of sports. Mm-hmm. And now it's just kind of here and I'm going to be really sad when it ends. Yeah, me too. And we will get to the NFL as well. Mm-hmm. John, people who listen to this podcast may wonder how we have time to watch the amount of shows and movies and sports and also like read the amount of books that we read. Cause it's I like, don't, I don't read. <laughs> you read some. I, mean, I read, read a little, little bit. bit. I do read a little bit. <laughs> and so when I realize that there is more sports television that I need to invest in, I always am like, okay, what do I have to cut out now? Like, <laughs> you know, there's only so much time in the day. But we did want to open with some pretty exciting news coming from Netflix. Um, these are some things that we're going to be recommending and things that we're really interested in people mm-hmm. checking out as we will be. Um, Netflix's Formula One show, Drive to Survive, was a massive hit. Um, it's done I huge didn't numbers. know how massive it was. Yeah, it's done huge numbers for Netflix, and it's actually done huge numbers for Formula One as well. Um, Netflix is one of those services where people go on there with no intention or plan of what to watch and just find things. And when Drive to Survive is featured heavily on the homepage, people checked it out. They ended up falling in love with Formula One as a sport. And it's been huge. And Netflix announced two, I guess they've been announced for a while, but trailers dropped for two more shows, one of which actually premiered today, Friday, January 13th, as we record this, Breakpoint is a new documentary look at the tennis world. And then coming later is, is it called Full Swing? Yeah, I think Full Swing, yep. Yeah, Full Swing will be looking at the PGA Tour in a similar style to Drive to Survive, which is an immersive documentary experience, a look at an entire season, uh, featuring interviews with players, coaches, trainers, everyone involved. And um, I can't wait to start Breakpoint today and Mm. check out the golf one. and. I have to confess, I actually have not seen Drive to Survive, so I'll be, I will also be catching up with Drive to Survive as well. But we wanted to mention that these shows are happening and that we're really excited about them and that if you are interested in tennis or golf or Formula One or just good television, that these are now available for, for streaming. 
Yeah, I'm kind of surprised, honestly, that neither of us have watched Drive to Survive because I feel like both of us profile as like the American F1 fan. Well, I watch Formula One. Oh, you do watch it. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't watch it at all. But I, yeah, okay. Well, I feel like I probably should watch it as well because I feel like I would enjoy it, but I just haven't yet. But I was surprised. I was doing some reading. Basically, these shows are happening to a large degree because both golf and tennis want to grow their profile and grow, you know, find new fans. And I was amazed reading about how many fans Drive to Survive has brought in. Because, you know, like by word of mouth, I know a lot of people who've gotten into Formula One because of the show. But I was reading the New York Times Magazine's Bruce Schoenfeld did like a kind of a huge, like long read on um, on the connection between the sport and the show. And it was super interesting just how small kind of Formula One's profile was in the U.S. and how much like everyone within the sport, it's not just like, oh, this is kind of an interesting documentary that's showing what we do. Everyone in the sport basically acknowledges that the show like exploded the sports profile in America and a lot of other countries. Season four of the show, I think there are five seasons out or something right now, um, was the most popular Netflix show in 33 countries while it was premiering, like, which is crazy. I think it's including the U.S. ESPN's rights, I think, from before the show until, I guess, around now, maybe around the summer, whenever they renegotiated the rights deals or whatever, it went from costing $5 million for Formula One to, like, nearly $80 million for Formula One, which is a pretty significant increase. And, you know, fans are flocking in huge numbers. So I think it's going to be cool to see obviously it's a very different sport but to see how these two new shows can kind of impact these sports profiles as someone who's also been like gotten into tennis a little bit this year i'm excited for breakpoint to kind of maybe learn a little bit more behind the scenes stuff that i'm like i'm just i don't know because i haven't followed the sport before yeah and one of the interesting things about breakpoint is that it's being at least advertised around younger players Mm -hmm. um so kind of like the next generation of ATP and WTP players. It's not as much about Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, although I'm sure that they will feature, especially given how many championships Nadal won in 2022. But but like it's being marketed around Stefano Tsitsipas and Nick Kyrgios and some of the more exciting younger players who will be around for the next 10 to 15 years. The golf one has, as far as I can tell, pretty much every big name minus Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. Involved. I did. I guess I didn't see Phil in, in it in the pr- promotional materials, but from from Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Justin Johnson, Scotty Scheffler, like the list goes on and on and on. It seems like everybody who is anybody is in the golf one. So I think both of these are going to be a lot of fun. And crucially, this is a 2022 golf year, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Which which means the drama will be rife. Yeah. regarding live and everything else like i think that's going to be actually in t- fantastic television in a way that maybe even the tennis show won't be i think the golf one will be better yeah. given the storylines um that's, yeah I'm the, very the entire it should have a documented history of the entire live saga the live golf tour um brooks kepka and dustin johnson who left the pga for live are in it um as well as some of the critics of live like like uh thomas and and rory so mm-hmm. yeah it's gonna get into it it's gonna be a lot of fun mm, um, i'm excited for that john netflix's timing in terms of releasing breakpoint makes sense because they released it the friday before the australian open begins on sunday uh this podcast will probably come out 
after the the uh, Australian Open has started. Mm-hmm. But as we're recording it, it's before. And it's nice to have tennis back as someone who yeah. doesn't get to watch tennis a lot because I don't have the tennis channel but loves it whenever it's on ESPN. I get to check out tennis and watch it all. And even though it's on in Australia and the time zones are weird, I'll be up early for it and I'll be staying up late for it. And I just love it. It's yeah, it's it, the, the the grand slams are the best, and we've got some really interesting storylines. And I guess the biggest storylines are who actually are not playing. Uh, three right. big names who are not playing that we've talked about on the podcast is um, the good news is uh, I guess one of the good the good reasons is Naomi Osaka who is announced that she's having a baby, mm-hmm. uh, which is very exciting for her, but will not be playing. She plans to be back in twenty twenty four. Obviously, Serena Williams, this is the first Grand Slam without her since her retirement, and we are continuing to wish her well. On on the sadder side of it is Carlos Alcaraz, who had to withdraw due to an injury, despite being probably one of the favorites to win, one of the most exciting players in the world. Um, It would have been great, obviously, if he could have won after winning the U.S. Open, but um, it was not to be, and hopefully he has a quick and speedy recovery. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, Nadal obviously leads the Grand Slam total now by one. Um, it sounds, at least from what I've been generally reading, that he has had kind of a shaky last few months. I don't know how Djokovic has been doing, um, but I do think it's an interesting storyline as Nadal has sort of faded, I guess, since the U.S. Open and kind of even was fading during the U.S. Open, you know. Djokovic is kind of a a wild card right now in terms of like what he's going to do in these slams moving forward because I think he's still very much capable if he remains fit of beating a lot of these younger players Um, and I definitely think that if things come together in the right way that he could win a couple more grand slams and see things out or it's possible that he doesn't you know but I, I feel like he probably still has the quality given what he did at least to a degree last year that he could still grab at least one more you know this is a tournament that tends to be pretty wide open mm-hmm. um, there's been several different winners in the past few few seasons and with both Djokovic and Nadal having finally kind of loosened their grip on the Grand Slams with people like Medvedev Carlos Alcaraz Dominic Team having won Grand Slams in the past year um or in the past couple of years, it'll be interesting to see how wide open this tournament ends up being. And the women's side also seems very open. So yeah, I think it'll be fun and we'll continue to cover it as it goes along and as we get closer to the to the finals. From the women's side, I think we'll be I'll be watching Coco Goff very closely mm-hmm. as as the without Osaka and uh, without Serena, she kind of is that that big draw female player right now. And then obviously we're looking at Shvantec constantly. I, she's she's been pretty unstoppable so we'll continue to keep up with it next week as we get into the uh, the final rounds of that tournament John mm-hmm. another tournament that is starting is the NFL playoffs this is what um, I'm truly excited for yeah you 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 want to as the as the the leading NFL fan on this podcast do you want to kind of lead the way here <laughs> am I really the leading NFL you're, you're not kind of I was going to be nice to you <laughs> you're going to be I was like I feel like that's not fair I was just being nice to you <laughs> We have, especially in the first round, some great matchups in my mind and some not-so-great matchups. I think most of the good matchups are going to start coming in the next round of games. 
But right now we've got my eyes are on two games: Giants Vikings and Chargers Jags as the games that are going to actually be interesting and generally competitive. Um, Bills Dolphins. I don't expect to be any kind of competition. The spreads at like last I checked at like thirteen or something like yeah. that. Yep. The Dolphins are going to have most likely their third string quarterback who has not been particularly good, Skylar Thompson. Um, I don't think the Dolphins are going to do well. I also think the Niners are probably going to curb stomp the Seahawks. So you've got two games already out of the, I guess, six games this weekend that are kind of going to be duds. Um, you've got Giants-Vikings, which in my mind, I don't know what your read has been on the Vikings this year, but I both think they're at times really, really good, but I never, like, before a game, I never trust them to win it. And I kind of feel the same way here. And a lot of people, I also don't want to like doubt the Vikings at the same time because they're so capable of pulling these results off, but it's just, they feel weird to me. Here's the thing. The Vikings actually aren't good. They aren't good. No. This is news to me. They're in a horrible division. Right, they are. That's true. Which they they kind of stomped through a bunch, like three pretty bad to mediocre teams. Again, this podcast will probably come out after these games have happened. Oh, that's true, right. I won't talk about them too much, but I, I would be surprised if the Giants didn't win. Honestly, interesting. You'd be surprised. Um, yeah, and a wow. lot of people are on are on the Giants bandwagon. Um, they're a better defense than the Vikings are. They have a better running game than the Vikings do. And if the Vikings win, it's because Kirk Cousins went crazy, which I just don't see happening. I don't think that he is that guy. Um, and in the last month of the regular season. Daniel Jones had the highest QBR of any quarterback in the league. Higher than Patrick Higher Mahomes than Brock Purdy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my bold NFC and AFC championship predictions. I'm just going to put those out there now. I'm going to yeah. put those out there now. I think the NFC championship is going to be Eagles 49ers. I think the 49ers will beat either of the Vikings or the Giants in the next round. I... Th- because I don't trust either of these teams, I think I'm going to choose the Cowboys to go to the next round. I don't feel great about it, but I feel like just overall their team is better. And I feel like as long as Dak doesn't throw three interceptions, I think the Cowboys win this game. If okay. Dak throws three interceptions, I think this game is over and Brady wins. But I, I do feel like Brady has just not clicked enough for me this season in the right moments. And I don't feel like the team is working cohesively enough. So I think we're going to end up with Eagles-Cowboys rematch. I think Eagles are going to win that game. We'll have Eagles-Niners in the one. And I think I think, I think we'll have Chiefs-Bills in the AFC Championship. Because I think the Bills have a lot of momentum. But the Bills are going to have to face, to get to the Super Bowl, they're going to have to face probably the Bengals, the Chiefs, and then one of the Eagles of the 49ers, which is probably going to be the toughest run to a Super Bowl that any of these teams will have. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. But do you think that they'll do it? That's that's my thing. I don't know. I think of any of these teams, I think they're the most likely, is what I'll say. Mm. Okay. But they're also... No team has really fully convinced me this year, or convinced any of us, really. And I, I'm not, like convinced that the Bills can beat any of these teams both with how their defense is kind of choppy as well as how Josh Allen's been kind of inconsistent this year so those are my those are my predictions 
Yeah, it's hard for me to predict the um, like the 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 AFC Championship matchups because this isn't like a straight bracket. There are like seeding things. Um, like it's not like so. It's it's hard to say exactly how like who's going to end up playing in the, the divisional round versus the championship round depending on who wins and loses. Well, yeah, because um, the, the lowest seed ends up right playing the number one yeah, seed, the number one, no yeah, matter yeah. who they are. Um, right. But I'll go ahead. What I will do is give my Super Bowl prediction because okay. seeing doesn't impact those. I'm going with the Eagles and the Bills. Um, mm, the Eagles, okay. I think the NFC is actually quite weak. And I think that the Eagles are better than every other team there. I think that, you know, they could, there's a good, like I said, if, if I'm right about, about my prediction, there's a chance that they're going to play a team with a losing record in the, in the, mm, um, right. in, in the divisional round. And then they would host the championship game as well against, I don't know, would it be like the Giants or the Jaguars or the Chargers? Like, again, they're just, I just don't see a real threat here at all to the mm-hmm. Eagles. I, um, the AFC, as we've discussed, is a three-horse race. The Chiefs are there. The Bills are there. The Bengals are there. Any one of those three teams could do it. I think earlier this season we said that we would, we would be surprised if it wasn't either the Chiefs or the Bills. Um, I think we can add the Bengals now. They've really come on mm-hmm. late in the season, oh, and I and I think that they are just as good as those other two teams. Um, but I think the Bills, they one they beat the Chiefs earlier this year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they have played really consistent football. Josh Allen is throwing forty-yard passes, flat-footed mm-hmm. to wide-open wide receivers consistently, and like again, this is not quantifiable. But they are playing for something more than just themselves. Mm-hmm. And we saw that in the Week 18 game where they ran two kickoffs back for touchdowns, including the opening one. And Josh Allen described it as a spiritual experience that proved the existence of God uh, because of what that team has been going through. And I just think that they have, I don't know, I don't know, like, like, this is this is the kind of story that the sports writers would write, you know, and and more often than not, we've seen that kind of thing happen where where fate is on the side of the Bills, mm-hmm. and that's not quantifiable, but but the motivation that they have to win for Demar Hamlin and for each other, that is quantifiable. It's the same thing as the Lakers winning the national winning the NBA title the year after Kobe Bryant died, and like that kind of thing happens more often than you than you would think in sports, and so. Um, I think that that is a factor as well. Yeah, and, and it's also worth noting that the, the Bills have never won a Super Bowl. And, you know, if not this team at this time, then when? I don't know. Like, I think they've had a couple shots at making it there over the last couple of years. And I I don't know. I think this team deserves out of the AFC to be there this year. I would not be surprised. I'm pretty sure either the whoever wins the Jags-Chargers game will end up playing the Chiefs because I think they'll end up being the lowest seed. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if we saw an upset in that game, mm. quite honestly. That's the upset that I'm looking for um, going into the second round of the playoffs that I'll be keeping an eye on. Um, I think the two factors for me in the NFC, and these are kind of my last like main thoughts on what could happen over there. One is Jalen Hurts' fitness because um, I think that is going to determine a lot of how well the Eagles do. He's been okay, but I mean, they've lost, they lost to the Saints, you know, which 
even if your your backups playing like as the Eagles, like the Saints have had no juice all season. So that felt a little strange to me. I mean, they did the job they needed to against the Giants, but they felt really, really good to me all season. But with this Hurts injury, it has kind of felt like they've lost a little momentum. So I'm, I want to keep an eye on that because I think him actually being fully healthy is going to make the difference in this team making a Super Bowl run. I think the other, the other factor I'm looking at is, is Brock Purdy for the Niners going to have a drop-off at any point? Mm. Because the Niners haven't played any real like serious competition since he's come into the team, but he also has not put a foot wrong at all since he's come into the team. And the Niners have looked stronger and stronger with it every game, every week. Um, defensively, they're really good. Offensively, they're really good. McCaffrey's playing out of his mind. Um, Debo Samuel's back. George Kittle's obviously a threat. I think this team, if they start to find momentum and Brock Purdy starts to feel that he this stage is meant for him, I would not be surprised to see them in the Super Bowl. Hmm. That's my that's that's my kind of bold take. I think that the Super Bowl is going to be Bills 49ers. I think the Bills are going to win. Okay. That's my prediction. Hmm. Yeah, I think that the uh, Bills are going to win as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I will, here's the thing I'll say. As I look at all these teams who are in the playoffs, all of them, for the most part, seem really, really quarterback dependent. Mm-hmm. Except for two, which are the Ravens and the Giants. The Ravens will may or may not have Lamar Jackson when they play the Bengals. The Giants have Daniel Jones, who is one of the most low, one of the lower profile quarterbacks mm-hmm. um, of the ones in the playoffs. But when you look at teams like the Chiefs, the Chargers, the um, even the uh, like the the Bills, yeah, even even the Buccaneers. You know, if if Tom Brady doesn't play well, um, same thing with the Dolphins. They've played poorly without Tua. All these teams seem to really rely on the quarterback for their success. And if the quarterback has a bad day, who are the teams that can survive that? Who can rely on the running game? The Giants are that team. The Ravens are that team. And and also in the top five in the league in rushing are the Eagles. So mm-hmm. I think that if, if Jalen Hurts is not fully healthy, that's a team that can survive it, um, at, le- at least in the divisional round. Um, and then give, give Jalen more time to get healthy. It's going to be a fun playoff. No I'm very what. excited. There are a lot of really, really good teams. There are a lot of really young teams. I saw a stat that uh, Patrick Mahomes is actually the oldest starting quarterback in the AFC playoffs. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. Yeah. So, like, just so much young talent in this team, or in this league right now and in this playoff. Um, you've got people as, as young as, uh, I guess, who's the youngest one? Probably Trevor, would, right? Would be Trevor. And then you've yeah. got Tom Brady. He's probably like double Trevor in age. I, he's got to be close. Yeah, it has to be at least double. If I think is Trevor twenty two, and Tom is forty five. So Trevor is twenty three. Okay. And is Brady forty six? No, he's he's forty five. Oh, almost double. So close. almost double. That's crazy. Yeah, that's that like is. you that's and really I. Wild. You and I playing football against Tom mm-hmm. Brady right now. I'm older. I'm a year older than Trevor. Yeah. Oh he's no! Like so. Old, <gasps> I'm also older than Trevor. That's terrible. Yeah, that's the worst news I've heard in a while. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of kind of. I'm gonna need to take a break. (laughs) But John, you're still younger than Stetson Bennett, so you can always count on that. (laughs) A college quarterback who's 25, and then an NFL quarterback who's 23. I don't know how that makes any sense, but here we are. It doesn't make any sense at all. But that's the world we live in. Yep. 
John, it's a hard transition to make from sports to the social issues that we're going to discuss today. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned in the intro, um, we've had three interesting headlines this week that all relate to the way that different organizations and teams are dealing with the subject of domestic violence. And um, we're going to be talking about Trevor Bauer, Dana White, and Chris Beard on today's show here in the main topic. Um, Trevor Bauer is someone that we've talked about extensively mm-hmm. off and on for the past year or so. These other two stories will be kind of the first time that we talk about them on the podcast. But I think what we want to talk about is uh, for people who don't know some of these situations, we'll explain them. But we mostly want to look at the way that these organizations are responding and what the right way to respond is, kind of mm-hmm. judge judge how these teams are doing. Um, because the facts of all three of these instances are different, uh, the responses are different, and we'll be able to kind of like just talk through that and, and analyze, you know, just the seriousness that this issue needs to be taken and what what really effective punishment looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can start with Bauer. The recent news with him is that the his suspension was um, ended because a, a judge in arbitration cut it in half. Uh, from or from three twenty-four games to one hundred and ninety-four games, which he had mm-hmm. already served, so his suspension was lifted. And after that, the Dodgers decided to try to trade him, and they couldn't find a trade partner, so they cut him. They owe him about twenty-one million dollars um, as part of their releasing him, and he is now free to look for a team if a team will take him. And we've talked a lot about the the instances of domestic violence, of of sexual assault that he's been accused of. He is Bauer has been the one who's been vindicated in court. Mm-hmm. Um, a permanent restraining order against him was denied by a judge, and also uh, there were no charge charges were not brought against him after a legal investigation. The MLB and the Dodgers conducted an investigation that they believed warranted the massive suspension of 324 games that was then reduced. That, as far as I know, that investigation is not public. The report mm-hmm. that's a huge piece of evidence that I would like to see um, to see what the what the NFL or sorry what the MLB found that the federal or that that the uh, prosecutors and district attorneys did not find um, and what caused them to, to decide that way so that's a huge kind of gap in our knowledge that makes us a little bit hard to talk about but um, it, it I guess at this point it wouldn't be surprising if Trevor didn't play again and again, this is a this is one of those tough situations where he has been legally, although maybe not morally vindicated um, in terms of his his claims of innocence. Right. And it, it's kind of similar to like, the, I guess, in my mind, like the Deshaun Watson circumstance to a degree in, in that you don't have someone being criminally charged. Things are being settled out of court or being denied altogether. And nevertheless, you still have the league doing an investigation and saying you've violated our policies and therefore are being suspended for X amount of games. You know, obviously Bauer was suspended for a lot longer than Deshaun was, but you kind of have a similar, I guess, sort of moral dilemma for the league to deal with. And I think it's interesting. We've talked about this before about how the league sometimes make these make these code of conduct decisions even though it nothing resulted from the criminal case and obviously we often don't have a lot of 
details from that, like you said. MLB likes to keep things under wraps. Obviously, Goodell likes to do the same thing with the NFL in terms of most of their investigation findings. But we did get their report from Deshaun Watson. Oh, that's true. That You're was right. made public. Yeah. Which kind of makes it makes this situation, by contrast, a little bit more complicated. Yeah, it's more hazy, for sure. I think it's strange. Um, the MLB, it sounded like, from what I heard, was not happy that his suspension was cut. I do think that... Yeah, it, it without us knowing kind of what they found, it's sort of a complicated thing to like I guess pass judgment on, you know, because there's only so much that we know. We just know that criminally there wasn't enough of a case. And I guess from the league's side of things, they maybe I guess maybe it's like if we know that something even to a degree happened that may break the league's policy enough. You know, because we know that, like, obviously there was kind of reprehensible stuff that was going on, even if it wasn't criminal. And maybe in the right. league's mind, that still qualifies as domestic abuse. And as a result, felt like the suspension was warranted from what their investigation found, regardless of the fact that it was, wasn't was necessarily criminally triable. But yeah, that being said, it, it it's a it's a strange circumstance i guess to fully be able to conclusively say one one way or the other that the mlb did the right thing there yeah and i mean that's a huge part of it too is is the fact that when it comes to domestic violence or sexual assault the league does not have a legal standard like a court of law does right and so you can look at the fact that there were no criminal charges and say well that's kind of vindicating of bauer in this case because um, you know, the court couldn't find, uh, the district attorneys couldn't find enough evidence that they think could convince a jury beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, right. the MLB has does not have that standard. Mm-hmm. All the MLB has to determine is if they think it's more likely than not that he violated their, their code of conduct. That standard is different. It's not reasonable doubt. It's probably 50, it's like 51% more likely. Um, they also have, they don't have to prove it to a court of law. They only have to prove it to themselves. So again, this is a different situation. And so um, you can look at the MLB suspension and say it's wrong because because the court of law couldn't find any evidence, so he should be vindicated. But again, and similar to the Deshaun Watson standard uh, standpoint, there when there is the lower the legal standard is, the more likely that there is wrongdoing that you can prove. You know, mm-hmm. um, just because a court of law doesn't think that they could prove it beyond a reasonable doubt doesn't mean that it didn't happen. And um, I guess the takeaway from this situation for me is that when the headlines indicate that someone has been legally vindicated, as in the case of Bauer or Deshaun Watson, it's important to, I think, the public to have the reports from the league be made public, which the NFL did right and the MLB so far has not done right. Um, I, I think that they, it's important for them to clarify what information they had that led them to a different conclusion than the district attorneys who were investigating it for the court. Yeah, I think it, it just shows kind of where you're coming from in that regard in terms of why you're making those decisions and why you think it's important to punish Bauer if that is your view, which clearly was Manfred and the MLB's view. I think... And we're going to about, about to with this next instance, we're going to get to kind of the opposite sort of situation here in terms of accountability for organizational members. Um, but 
I don't know. I, on the one hand, I kind of have like I guess two two different sort of conflicting thoughts on this. One is that you know when you are operating with a lower standard, like it feels weird that like a lower legal standard, it feels weird that someone is being punished to a degree for something that the courts couldn't really prove. But at the same time, I, I understand and I think it's probably good that, you know, we're talking about these athletes who are making millions and millions of dollars. Um, and we've talked about them as role models, you know, for society numerous times, you know, and the importance that leagues need to place on rooting out domestic violence and sexual abuse within their ranks. And I think if since the league has the ability to kind of be more aggressive in dealing with these issues, even than a court of law, I think that's probably a good thing. You know, that um, it's not like the league is imprisoning Trevor Bauer, but it is saying there is a code of conduct here that is a higher standard than, you know, simply jail time, you know, then like there's a there's a higher standard of conduct for you than just not directly breaking the law, I guess. And if you are engaging in actions that are in that general ballpark, even if you can't be criminally tried, I think that the league is well within its rights to take actions to stop that. Right. And they're also, I think, I think everything you said is right, that there is a higher standard mm -hmm. um, morally, but I think there's also a standard of image that is a factor, right. which exactly. is that, which is important. You know, the, the league wants to hold players to the highest standard, not just for the not just for the moral standard, but for the integrity of the sport. Mm -hmm. And I think that it would, at this point, be pretty damaging to any team that wanted to do business with Trevor Bauer. For sure, um, even more I, than I, Deshaun, I, probably. Yeah, I'd be really surprised if he played again. Um, I, I, from what's been alleged, I think Deshaun Watson's extensive history of abuse is much is worse certainly in terms of the numbers mm -hmm. than Trevor Bowers. Um, there have been three allegations against Trevor Bauer and closer to 30 with Deshaun Watson. Um, but the publicity of this, uh, Trevor Bowers stubbornness and in, in claiming his innocence, which some take as a, as a, as a positive on his, that he's been so insistent on his innocence. They believe that that's like honesty on his part. Again, I, I can't judge that. I don't have the investigation, mm -hmm. but um, it, it would be a mess I think for any team to bring him back, and so as far as I'm concerned, I think that his career is over. Yeah, I think that, I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Right. Yeah, John, I I think the organization that has the worst track record when it comes to these kind of issues is the UFC. Interesting. Um, this league makes no sense at all. If you go through their history of domestic violence and among athletes in the sport. Michael Graves, for example, was arrested in 2016 for misdemeanor battery against a family member, and the UFC released him. Um, they said that in their statement, the UFC requires all athletes to act in an ethical and responsible manner as mandated by the UFC fighter conduct policy. And this is a quote, UFC holds its athletes to the highest standard and will continue to take appropriate action if and when warranted. And then... Very soon after that, the UFC signed Greg Hardy, to who was a disgraced NFL player who was found guilty of assaulting a woman with like a assault rifle. Oh, 
Um, what? His conviction was overturned on appeal because the victim did not appear for the jury trial. Um, but but he was cut by the NFL and then was mm-hmm. immediately signed an MMA deal with the UFC, and he still fights for the UFC today. Interesting. Someone who was found guilty of sexual of uh, domestic violence. Um, so so much for quote unquote the highest possible standard. But the reason why we're talking about this today is because there's been a domestic violence incident with the UFC's owner and president Dana White. Mm-hmm. Um, a New Year's Eve video was found of them at a at a social event where there was some some arguing, and Dana White's wife hit Dana, and then he hit her back twice. Mm-hmm. Um, the video was reported by TMZ and went viral. And in the aftermath, Dana White decided not to punish himself in any way. Um, He said that punishing himself would only hurt the UFC and that his punishment is having to be viewed this way by the public for the rest of his life. (laughs) Um, So we can talk about that. Uh, We should also talk about the difference between the way that Dana has treated his own athletes versus the way that he's now treating himself and the hypocrisy there. But as far as I'm concerned, this is kind of one of the more blatant examples of hypocrisy that I've seen in sports, mm-hmm. which is very, very wild to say, considering all the hypocrisy that we see in sports on a regular basis. Right. Yeah, it's 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 remarkable. Obviously, there's no criminal charges that are even remotely being brought here. Like, this is just a video that was outed. Neither of them are bringing charges against each other for this. Um, so this is different than both of the other two domestic cases that we're going to talk about. But like you said, it's remarkable, one, because the UFC claims that they're holding themselves to the highest possible standard. Well, they're athletes. They're athletes. Not Dana. <laughs> right. No, not Dana. Of course not. That would be ridiculous. Why would you hold the highest authority responsible? I think that the most interesting thing about this, I think, number one, just off the bat, don't hit your wife, Period. Don't hit like, any woman. Don't hit any woman, period. But, like, she's your wife, dude. Like, that's terrible. Yeah. And doing it in front of people, I don't know what the, the legal standard is, like, since she initiated it on video, but, like, still, like, he's a big dude. Like, what is your problem? So, yeah. like, number one, unacceptable behavior, especially from someone who's supposed to be, like, the highest standard of conduct not that i have a high opinion of dana white i see this video i'm not like oh he he did that like not particularly surprising at all but that being said the fact that he would then after that own up to the video not defend himself and be like yeah that, that was wrong what i did um you know i feel really bad about it um i also don't think i should be punished is just a remarkable thing to say. Mm-hmm. It's not like with Trevor Bauer where you're like, I don't think I did anything wrong. I shouldn't be punished. It's like, I am the highest authority here. And I think it's like, you know, when you when your parents, when you like get into trouble over something and it's like those times, like occasionally where your parents would be like, you know what? I think you feel bad enough for what you did that, that that's going to be your punishment. Um, he like just like decided to do that for himself in this scenario as just being completely unaccountable for his actions. And I guess the owners have just decided to do nothing about this circumstance. I think that's just a, it's a bad look. 
Like, even if it's not necessarily... Some people have called for him to be fired. I don't know if that's... I don't know if you think that's, like, a necessarily a fireable offense. I think it's definitely not good, um, obviously. But I don't know. I, I think having no punishment at all from the UFC is remarkable. Yeah, I... I wouldn't say definitively that in an isolated incident like this that he's own responsibility for that he should be fired. Yeah. Um, but to say that he is going to face no punishment at all <laughs> is 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 baffling to me. And I'll talk about the hypocrisy in a minute. But like, yeah. just on the face of it, he doesn't have like. I don't think that it would be necessary that he re- resign necessarily. Unlike other people, he has owned up to it. He's admitted it. He's expressed shame and guilt and remorse and clarified that he does not condone domestic violence. And in fact, he takes it very seriously as he should. But he didn't like suspend himself for a week or two, like a month. Well, yeah, because he he said he said it doesn't it doesn't hurt me. It just hurts the players if I suspend myself. (laughs) That was his defense. (laughs) He didn't even like agree to donate five hundred thousand dollars to a charity that supports domestic violence victims yeah. like like so many times where you see like with Kyrie Irving where like part of a punishment is just agreeing to donate a significant amount of money to a good cause like Kyrie Irving was supposed to do for the anti-defamation league mm-hmm. like I what the punishment is we can discuss but the the the, the league the players in the UFC the fighters should see Dana White faced some sort of something that is deemed a punishment just so that they know that it's taken seriously. That could be a fine. It could be a brief suspension. It could be a long suspension. It could be a resignation. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to come down exactly where I think that should be. But the fact that there is literally nothing sets such a bad example for everyone else in that organization who is basically seeing Dana White say, well, I'm higher than like the law. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm more important than the rest of you and my conduct is not is is not punishable while while players are players have been cut like I said or or suspended for similar offenses for for domestic violence and so yeah this just like I found his press conference like very weirdly self like selfish and like mm-hmm. disconnected from reality none of his excuses made any sense about how punishing himself would hurt the league like like I, if, <laughs> if the UFC can't exist for two weeks without Dana White they have larger structural problems that need to be addressed about why they're so like why they're so dependent on a single person to to exist like that makes no sense to me and it's not like he's saying that a punishment would be an admission of guilt because he's already admitted the guilt mm-hmm. so again like like you said I just don't I don't understand why anyone involved in the UFC thought that this was a good idea. Why Dana thought this was a good idea. Like, at the minimum, you... I think I think the minimum you do, and I don't think this is sufficient, but the minimum you do is release a statement saying, Dana White is a, sorry and apologetic for this. He takes it domestic violence very seriously. He would like to apologize to his wife. There are no excuses. And he has chosen to donate something in the high six figures to a cause that supports victims of domestic violence to show mm-hmm. his commitment to this. Like that's that's the bare minimum. Oh yeah, I mean that's just like just like a passing, especially for someone with his much money. That's right. just like a passing like, oh I feel a little bit bad about this. Here you right. go. Here's right. a little bone. 
and he didn't even throw the bone. That's what's no. remarkable about this to me is you you expect at least some kind of bone to be thrown from someone with this level of authority just to be like, yeah, sorry about that one, guys. That was a that was a bad look. And just getting absolutely nothing is stunning. Yeah, and, and even if he did that, we'd still be on here debating if that was like serious or not. Like if that was a serious apology or it just wouldn't appeasement. be serious. Of course, no, it, it wouldn't. wouldn't. It would, but it it would, would be, be appeasement. something. But like we haven't even been given appeasement. That's what's remarkable right. about this. He literally it had the brazenness to show up in a press conference and say, "I'm punishing myself by not punishing myself because y'all are now, y'all now dislike me. That's yeah. my punishment. Like that, what a remarkable thing to say." Saying your punishment is having to live with people knowing what you did is is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, imagine defending yourself in Nuremberg with that. Yeah. Like, like oh. everyone knows that I killed people and I, everyone will hate me forever, so please don't punish me. Like, no, that's not how this works. Like, oh, okay, Jeffrey Dahmer, your punishment is that you have people have to walk around knowing that you're a cannibal. Like... What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, That's really the more I think about it, the more dumb it is. Yeah, it's baffling. Um, that I, I again, the UFC has, I think, more than any of the sport has had issues with player misconduct, with violence, with things like that. Um, it's a very violent sport. Dana has seemed to promote a culture of toxic masculinity and violence for a long time. Mm-hmm. That I guess. Yeah, this was just a, a low, a low, low, low for him and for the organization. And I I couldn't imagine a player, one of his fighters under contract with him, going on a podium and making the same excuses that he made and getting away mm-hmm. with it. Sounds like it's time to revisit my uh, my take on why the UFC shouldn't exist. It might but, be. <laughs> it might be. John, one more example we wanted to talk about. Uh, and this is also a recent headline because Chris Beard was fired from Texas. He this was his first year as Texas's or was it his second year? Mm. He was in he was early on in his career with Texas. Yeah. He had come from Texas Tech. Um, this was, I think this was his first. I can't remember first or second year. Um, he was arrested in December because his wife um, called the police. And gave a statement to the police alleging that he had like strangled and bit and punched her during an argument. And um, subsequently he was arrested and he has um, that that arrest and the ongoing investigation is still ongoing. But the the Texas organization felt comfortable releasing him um, pending the legal charges and things like that. This situation is weird because. Chris Beard's wife has subsequently come out fiance. and said that she, yeah. I'm sorry, fiance, you're right, has come out subsequently and said that she didn't want him to be arrested and also said that she didn't say some of the things that the police mm-hmm. report indicates that she said, which is hard to believe. It's, one, it's hard to believe that the police would lie about a report. And two, like falsifying a statement to the police is a crime. So if she's admitting that she, like, if she's saying that she didn't say it then she's saying that the police made it up which is hard to believe or if she's backtracking on it then she's admitting that mm-hmm. she falsified a police report which is a crime like it, it's it's hard to believe mm-hmm. under what circumstance that initial report would not be correct I guess is what I'm trying to say um, and she's now backtracking it um, yeah so that, that kind of complicates the situation 
But I think in terms of Texas, I don't think anyone is disputing that they made the right call to fire him, except for maybe him and his lawyers who believe that this was unjustified. Yeah, I mean, I think when we go back to that standard of conduct, right, when you have a man who's leading young men, right, you're expected even more, I think, I think a professional coach is expected to have a very high standard of conduct. But I think a college coach should have an even higher standard of conduct Um, because, you know, you are not only responsible for leading a team to winning games, but you're responsible for the formation of college kids, many of whom are not going to go on to be professionals. Um, So there's a very high standard there. And in any circumstance, I think if you're involved in a circumstance like this, if you get arrested for this kind of behavior, I think that's fireable, you know, I mean, and under his contract, you know, it, there is a felony clause under his contract mm-hmm. that if you are charged for that kind of stuff, they can fire you. And they mm-hmm. did. And I think it's absolutely the right call. I think you're right that this situation is a complicated one in terms of what's actually going to happen in this case, especially if she's like somehow not willing to testify. You know, I think it, it's very possible that she did report what she did initially to the police and that reports correct. And then she is trying to backtrack on that for whatever reason, you know, whether it's just that she didn't want the circumstance to happen or, you know, we have no idea what their situation in the household is. So I'm not going to like speculate on that, but you know, I, I think people being abused and then walking back claims to protect, you know, their loved one is something that definitely happens. Um, and is a sad reality of domestic abuse, you know, so obviously we have no information there, so that's not like a speculative claim, but just obviously one of the possibilities that could be happening, you know, is that she did call it in and then is trying to walk it back now. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But regardless, it's not a good situation. And that's not someone you ever want to be your coach. And I think it's good on University of Texas for just making the, the right call immediately. Yeah. You know, they suspended him and then they've officially fired him. They should find a different coach. Yeah. They did the whole yeah, and this all happened within a month. From the arrest to the firing, it happened swiftly and decisively. Um, I'm not I guess I don't want to act like I don't like I categorically don't believe the fiance. Yeah. Um, I just I would have to see a good reason why that initial statement would be incorrect. Because right. there's no incentive to lie to the police. And there's no incentive for the police to falsify that kind of report. Um, so I, again, by default, I just I I would tend to trust that initial statement, pending some sort of information right, that would explain yeah, exactly. why that was not not the case. Right, John. As we look at all three of these instances, I guess in terms of like if there are any big takeaways, obviously the biggest takeaway is that domestic violence is a horrible atrocity that is way too prevalent in life Mm -hmm. and way too prevalent in sports and um, the sad thing is that there are hundreds of domestic violence allegations that we never hear about because they don't involve famous people Um, but they're equally serious and equally bad Mm -hmm. these are the ones that we hear about because they make headlines and um, we can talk about them but um, the tragedy of domestic violence in American society and worldwide society is 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 a tragedy and it's horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, as we think about it from the sports angle, I think my biggest takeaway, and then you can get to yours, 
My biggest takeaway is that what makes this difficult sometimes is that I think that the the standard becomes higher the higher up the chain you are, mm-hmm. but the accountability becomes harder the higher up the chain you are. And we've talked about this with how difficult it is to hold an owner accountable for, for a wrongdoing when compared to a player. Right. Because the accountability structure for a player is so like much more clear to see. There's an owner, general manager, coaches, player, any one of those three can suspend a player. But who can hold an owner accountable? Mm-hmm. Even though I think we all agree that owners should be held to a higher standard, just like coaches should be held to a higher standard. Um, like you mentioned, with, with you know, especially a college coach who's, who's tasked with not only coaching college athletes, but leading young men in the formulative years of their life to be better men or better women in a female sport. But as we think about this, you know, all of these, you know, in the Trevor Bauer instance, I think at the minimum, you can say that he put himself in a really, really bad situation by having consensual right. violent, violent sex that involved violent elements, or he's a, or he's a criminal, mm-hmm. um, although not charged and should never play the sport again. Um, Dana is another great example of this where there's just like, who is, who, who is he accountable to? Um, is this something that he just decided on his own that he is he does he have enough unilateral power that he is the only person who can punish himself and if so is there no one who's like feels that they have enough immunity that they could tell him that what he's doing is wrong without risking their own careers like does he have an accountability structure at all around him um chris beard obviously does as a coach um, he has an athletic director and a school trust board of trustees who are holding him accountable. And we've seen that happen, like I mentioned, swift and decisively in appropriate action. But, you know, when we talk about it with players, we, we see lots of punishments and suspensions, and that's good. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about coaches and owners, one of my worries is that it gets is, is, is just where the accountability comes from. And um, when the accountability is not there, we see these people who actually have a higher standard of morality and of and of being above reproach who are less accountable than the players who who um, also have a high standard of, of morality but not as high but who have those those clear accountability structures yeah i mean it reminds me of the robert sarver circumstance that we talked yeah. about before mm-hmm. about you know how much harder it is for an owner to be accountable even of a of a franchise, right? We're there. We're just talking about basketball teams, you know, just a singular basketball team or two in Sarver's case. And until an investigation was done, you know, he was just kind of doing whatever he wanted within his own little private kingdom. Um, but there wasn't accountability there. Adam Silver. Mm-hmm. But what happens when Adam Silver is the one who is? committing the misdeeds right and that's the issue that we have in the ufc and i think you're right i think i think this you're right that domestic violence is prevalent across society and it's a terrible sin across society that is harming our country that's harming women and children um and you know i think the only way that you fight it is one obviously through the law the rule of law but also both through helping protect women and help them be bold to share what's going on when they can and when it's safe, but also being examples to the future generations of young men, 
right? That's why this is important. And that's why taking the firmest steps possible in every circumstance is so important. And when it's, you know, the situations that happen where it's not in the headlines and it's your average person are equally important to these, but these headlines are part of the sports world that we are all a part of. And that's what makes these so important is each of these headlines provides an example for the young men who are going to be shaped by these decisions. Um, I think that's why it's so, why it's good when organizations like Texas make the right decisions and why it's so bad when someone like Dana White doesn't take accountability. You know, it, it may not be like, his circumstance may not be the biggest domestic violence scandal we've ever seen, but every decision you make to minimize these kinds of things has an impact on how domestic violence is perceived and also the accountability that people have for it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, yeah. we've always talked about sports as being an example for society. And when it does the right thing, I think it underlines that. And when it does the wrong thing, it underlines just how much of a problem there is. And I think we see a little bit of both of those things in these three stories that we talked about today. Yeah, and, and sports serve as an example in two ways. Not only are the celebrities involved in sports a example, like a role model for people, whether they mm-hmm. accept that, whether they accept that job or not, they are, um, whether they admit to it or not. But when athletes or coaches or other people involved in sports commit wrongdoings, then the sport is also an example of if they're gonna of if that's a serious thing or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Adam Silver knows that and takes that responsibility seriously. Dana White clearly doesn't take that responsibility seriously. To I don't know how many like young people, like teenagers or kids, watch the UFC, but if they do, and they've seen him do this and face no punishment, like that is the example that the mm-hmm. UFC is setting. That has an impact. That he can do that to his wife and face no punishment. Um, any, any, you know, people who are fans of Trevor Bauer have seen a very different message from the UFC or from the from the MLB. Same with fans of Deshaun Watson. Same with Texas University fans. The, so, so the the personalities are role models, and they need to re- realize that. But when they do commit wrongdoing and everyone does no human is is perfect everyone does commit wrongdoing the world needs to see that that is that that wrongdoing is serious mm-hmm. and not that those people are irredeemable and not that there's no grace but that those kinds of wrongdoings especially when we're talking about something like domestic violence are serious and need to be taken seriously mm-hmm. I guess um, the way to yeah i don't know if you had anything else john I think you yeah. I think you nailed it. Okay, I wanted to briefly just clarify um, one thing because I was I was listening back to our our last conversation from last time we did a podcast, which weirdly enough also touched on domestic violence mm. in terms of um, Greg Bearhalter and his now oh, wife right. and th- that story. Um, and I just want I was I was going back to edit and then listening to that podcast. I wanted to just clarify something, which is that I don't know if it came across to you this way, John, but it it felt to me. Like I came across as saying that Rosalind Bearhalter had higher character as a woman because she took him back. Mm. And I didn't want to leave the impression that I put any 
judgment of character on the way a woman responds to domestic violence. Um, Rosalind Bearhalter would not have been a person of higher or lower character if she had chosen to never speak to him again. Oh, absolutely. Um, that it was not like it does not make her a better person because she chose to renew the relationship than if she had cut him off mm-hmm. or if she had even brought charges against him. Right. There's no judgment of character because um, I, I wouldn't want someone who made a different choice from her to think that I was saying that they would somehow be of a lesser character than Rosalind because she took him back and, and maybe mm-hmm. this other person didn't. I just wanted to clarify that briefly. I don't know if yeah. it came across that way, but I as I was th- listening I back to it. I don't it, remember perceiving it that way. Okay. Um, but I think that's important either way to just reemphasize. You know, that yeah. I think she made that personal decision mm-hmm. and I don't think it's it's not a negative mark for her that she did that. Right. But it's also not not like a you she should have done that. You know? Right. As an example of grace agree. and as an example of where something good like a healthy marriage can come out of difficulty. Mm-hmm. I think that is something that is like worth studying and commendable. For but sure. it wouldn't look it wouldn't be any worse for someone who had made a different choice. And right. I didn't want to put any moral judgment on that. Just to clarify. Yeah, absolutely. So. For sure. Well, that's a heavy way to end the pod. It um, is. But, yeah, it's just weird that there have been four huge headlines all involving domestic violence in four different sports all in the last two weeks. I know. It's that, been, I don't feel like there's been a time like this for the podcast, honestly, that we've had this many of this of this particular story all at once that's kind yeah. of yeah yeah i'm just going through years, espn yeah. and and texting ideas and then i realize like they, they all have the same theme which is just just gross but yeah seriously um yeah so we, thank we you hope guys you guys so much for, took something away from it yeah yeah we hope so and um we'll continue to again monitor these stories um i guess the only thing that would be up in limbo still at this point is is if trevor bauer finds a team for the 2023 right. season um, that would be a huge story that we would definitely talk about if it did happen. Um, mm-hmm. But that's all we got for the podcast this week. When we come back next week, we'll be talking a little bit of Australian Open. We'll be talking a little bit of NFL playoffs. John, we might even do a little bit of review of Breakpoint, the Netflix tennis show, depending on how far we get and mm-hmm. um, how interested we are. Maybe that's something that we could we could talk about a little bit on should. the pod as well. Um, that'd be good. Kind of like a make myself pop culture, but, yeah. but in sports. So. Yeah, I like it. Um, John, I guess I will be seeing you in like in a, a week. weeks. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be that'll be nice to see you and to to uh, be in person. I don't know if we'll do an in person pod. Probably won't have time. Probably but, not. But um, we'll, we'll get be back with the pod. And the way that you can know when a new pod is coming is by mostly following John on his personal Twitter because he's the one who normally announces those things. Right. Um, so just follow John on Twitter, and and he'll let you know when we have a we have a podcast recording session planned and what the topics are. Um, And until next week, or whenever, we hope that you all continue to be well and be safe, and we'll talk to you later. All right. Cheers, guys.